Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists. Hello, today on The Microscopists, I'm joined by Timo Zimmerman, a very special friend, and the team leader at the EMBL. And we talk about, actually, about how an EMBO microscopy course changed my entire career path, thanks to Timo. An EMBO course some years before actually changed uh, changed my career path completely. I would say changed my life in this aspect. And um, uh, that why, that's why, for me, this was like coming full circle. His recent 3D reconstructions from data collected in 1996. Volume renderings, I think uh, I read it recently, so this is actually done with Fiji. Uh, they, but they, basically the original data set and also 3D renderings with shadings I did then. I just read it then once because the shading and the, the color scheme is now a little bit better. And how Star Trek helped him learn English. I did my school English paper that was part of my final examination on Star Trek. And I got full grades. All in this episode, of the microscopists. Hi, welcome to this episode of the microscopists. I'm Peter O'Toole from the University of York and today I'm joined by Timo Zimmerman from EMBL. And before I go to Timo, I'm going to embarrass him just a little bit. Now he's panicking. Yeah, one of my questions for the guests, so Timo, pre-prep here, I'll ask her who are their inspirations or who's been their inspiration? And if I was ever a guest myself and I was asked who's my who's been my inspiration in my career, one of the first names, if not the first name that would pop into my head is Timo. So it's a great honour, Timo, to have you here today as a guest. So, Timo, how are you today? Uh, great. And thanks for having me. And actually, yeah, thanks for thanks for the compliment. Ah. But, uh, I don't think it's deserved. I. No, it really is. I, I remember meeting you back in 2001. Mm-hmm. And at that meeting, you were... So actually, you sent me a picture of this meeting. Uh, so I'll bring this up while we're talking about it. I can't believe... And this is the first, I, I only saw this picture today. It was like, oh, my goodness, this is the crowd. It was an Envo course. I'm not even sure everyone's on there because I'm sure there was more of us. It felt like a big crowd. It was 10 days, six days a week course. Mm. You, were, you were the lead demonstrator on the Leica, uh, SP2 at the time. Yes. Uh, with Spectral, with AOBS, starting to do FRAP and everything else. And it was the way you taught and showed that there's a career in, in helping others do microscopy. Uh, and, and the way you trusted us, naively, <laughs> to use the Micro. You know, it, it was... You showed there was a different path, not just postdoctoral research. It's academic, but not academic, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember the course very well. And uh, actually, first of all, I remember our discussions during that course very well, because you were just about, uh, or you, you already had accepted, I think, the position and were just embarking on this. And therefore, I saw a lot of, uh, of similar uh, challenges for for both of us and uh, so i think this was really very interesting and i really enjoyed my time at this point i mean i i think it was uh, i was exactly in the kind of place i wanted to be 
career-wise. And uh, actually, I think even to even to this day, every now and then, because I, for example, these days I show a lot of people around in the in the imaging center where I'm working now, and I realize I'm actually still really enthusiastic about certain things, and I'm very much in line with that. And I think if that came across, then it's then that's it. Yeah, I felt like that then. It was the your enthusiasm that that was contained. Uh, I don't know if you remember. Uh, yeah, the sessions were quite long and you'd have to go for a, a toilet break every now and then and you'd leave us to carry on use the instruments ourselves which is very brave and i'm not sure you ever came back and we hadn't crashed the system whilst you were gone we were constantly crashing it in your absence i don't know if you recall that not even <laughs> as a bad memory <laughs> but i remember your response going oh guys how did you do it? So you were taking it almost like a learning objective of what we were doing to sort of kind of mess it up in a way that hadn't been done before. Now, as I, I, Oliver Rocks was uh, probably my partner in crime in a lot of this, uh, and Claudia Lucas, <laughs> probably in hysterics as we're trying to push it to its limits and finding the limits at the time. So that, that was super cool. So was that the first course you taught you had been a tutor on? Exactly. And uh, that, I think, made it very important for me because um, an EMBO course some years before actually changed uh, changed my career path completely. I would say changed my life in this aspect. And um, uh, that why, that's why, for me, this was like coming full circle to be instructor in this course, and uh, especially in the first one, because it was really, I kind of arrived, yeah, I mean, this... That's also why I sent the picture. I mean, this is an EMBO course from in Lisbon uh, in from 1994, so seven years before. And I was I'm one of the circles in the back, but there's a lot of other people that we know together. And I mean, at a time when yeah, one hardly remembers. But this uh, course exposed me to confocal microscopy at a time when it was a really, really rare um, uh, modality. And it moved me from electron microscopy, where I was really enjoying myself, to, to confocal microscopy. And by this really changed my career path. And uh, so for me, this, this was fundamental. And this was one EMBO course. So this one course can really, uh, my apologies for the very fancy uh, illumination system that now gives my nice light effects. No, it's, it was really, this changed uh, a lot for me. And therefore, I was super enthusiastic to actually go and be an instructor in these courses. And so I, I think that's quite something. I, for me, the, the course, I would say, I would say, I would argue that the course did change the direction of my career, which did, so therefore it has changed my life. Because uh, I, I, I don't think I would have gone into this position necessarily. I don't think I'd have done what I've done within that position if I hadn't seen what was possible. And so the EMBO course, and EMBO courses, both of us, have been really inspirational. And I noticed one of these circles over my shoulder just here is Rainer Peppercock. Is that right, Rainer, on that? I think it, uh, I mean, he was at this course and I think I circled him correctly. It's a very small picture, but I think that was Rainer. And first time I met him, and of course, Rainer is a extremely important person in, in, in my career, was and still is. But, yeah, because uh, not only at that point, but in that first picture that we had, that 2001 course, of course, Rainer again is on here, just sort of mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So he actually set up the course with Philip Bastions. So he, you know, these courses and the legacy of people running them and taking them forward, it does change people's trajectories. I, I don't think we should underplay the importance of these Envo courses and other courses and events around it and just how big an influence that they can have with that. Uh, that's, that's basically it. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, uh, I can, if you feel like I felt about my, about this initial course, I, I basically understand it because that's, that what's kind of, uh, that's what can happen. I'm going to take you back. You said you did EM, but let, let me go back, way back. When you were, I know, a small child, what is the first job that you could remember ever wanting to do? Astronaut. An astronaut. I really wanted to be an astronaut, and I think I gave up on that only very late, even after studying and even after even after the PhD. I, at some point, I didn't follow it up anymore. I even learned scuba diving because I thought it would be a good, uh, let's say, skill to have. So I never ruled it out because, you know, astronauts have a scientific training, so it was not, it was not impossible. Yeah. You still want to go up into space? Um, no, I think that's, that's, that has passed. But uh, let's say uh, an active research career, um, partially also initially, I was I very much like fieldwork as well. Um, but it's not the only thing. I mean, I think I really enjoy the things I've done and keep doing now. Um, so it's not, there's no regrets, but if you have to, if, if you wonder what it was, I wanted to be an astronaut. It was a very, very clear wish. So, so actually, my next follow-up question is usually, when you started your degree, what did you want to be? And the answer, so I think you've answered it, it's still an astronaut at that point. So what degree did you do? What was your so degree? It, what was uh, your degree? Biology biology um but maybe again also saying about that one or how one can follow one's one's intuition or one's one's likings i was involved in imaging right away i started biology and i really uh, in uh, i think i it influenced me in many ways but from the first semester on i uh, worked in the electron microscopy laboratory and uh, became a part of it, basically at a time when nobody should be in this kind of lab. But I managed somehow with a very supportive professor to work my way in and I never left. And uh, so I think this, the way that I approached biology was very much influenced by, by this all through. But in addition, of course, I very much enjoyed some of the projects I did then. I think by now I can, I, I mean, I still can consider myself a trained biologist, but I don't do biology anymore. I think I have to be realistic about that because it's a field that requires so much dedication and uh, learning continuously that this is not my field anymore. But no, that's very true, actually. And biology, yeah, from our degree days, has moved on significantly. That to keep. Oh yeah. Up. But so here's a question. Yeah. So you're a microscopist. I, I, I think it's a good description of your skills. You're a microscopist for life sciences predominantly. How can you be helping users with a microscope if you don't understand their cutting-edge biological questions? Now, I think this should still be possible, although even that's, I mean, the fields have really moved on a lot and, um, for, and are being transformed time and time again. I think we, we witnessed some of these transformations, green fluorescent protein, 
polymerase chain reaction even, I mean, I would say fundament fundamentally changed the world. Um, CRISPR now, uh, but I think we do understand enough to actually understand the challenge, at least the, 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 the outline of the challenge. And what then is, the, the, is, I think part of my job, part of your job is to be the interpreter between the biologist and the research question and the instrumentation. That's how I always saw myself, like to be, to be there to connect these two parts. I, I, I no, totally agree. Uh, it's always got to be careful who's listening out of, a, out of my user base, but you'll get people coming. They'll tell you that your the whole protein pathway. And at the end of it, my question is, so what colors have you got and where, where, where are we expecting to see them? Because mm. that's what we can enable you to do. And then, but then we tell them, so what are you, are you looking for protein interactions? You're looking at dynamics, you're looking at protein, protein. So then you can start putting your dynamic studies, your fraps, your frets, your FCSs and everything else into play. Uh, but it is. It's true, yeah. And I mean, uh, this you have to find, let's say, the common uh, the common level on which to exchange, and it's very often the case. I mean, I think we have all had these project discussions where people basically give you a lecture on their field, and it doesn't involve imaging at any point. And then after 15, 20 minutes, you finally cut through the chase. But uh, still, I mean, important is to find that common ground and then to work on that. So, so from your degree, you went into a PhD. Where was your PhD done? Uh, so both my initial studies as well as my PhD were done in Munich, uh, which was a bit of a surprise because I think, uh, as I said, since in 1994, more or less towards the end of my studies, I was exposed to confocal microscopy and therefore one of the few people that had some practical knowledge, I, I got the possibility to work with a confocal microscope. I actually had, my, my initial plan was to go to Canada to do functional neuromorphology. That would have been very imaging based. That was actually my initial plan. Um, and so I stayed uh, in Munich for the first, uh, for the installation of the first confocal microscope in the Institute, which I then also used on some of the first variants of fluorescent proteins in a developmental biology setting. So using cellular slime mold, both as a single cell organism. So looking really at the single cells and also at the multicellular aggregation stages. And um, you, you sent another picture. Uh, with actually another guest that we've had. So this is, and it says PhD crew. Was this during your PhD or was this after your PhD? This is, these are the people I did my PhD with. So, okay, Kota? Uh, yes. Jens? Yeah. Jens. It is Jens. We are all from the same, we are from the same group, Munich. Wow. And I, I, I don't know the, the lady next to you. Uh, yeah, she's not in imaging, uh, at least not in uh, not in microscopy. I think in the end she did a lot of remote sensing. So mm -hmm. um, because uh, our PhD supervisor, uh, he uh, was working in uh, on cellular slime mold, but one of his contributions to the field was together. So his name is, is Florian Siegert, and together with uh, Case Weyer, they were some of the first that actually did image processing on these developmental mechanisms in, in, in dictyostelium. And that's what attracted all of us, actually the imaging aspect. And uh, Florian, in his career later on, changed to remote sensing. Actually, Mollis already at that time, he had um, a very strong interest in uh, remote sensing in Indonesia for deforestation. 
And he applied the same kinds of methods. And of course, with twists, I mean, you needed these uh, is referencing systems and whatever. Um, but he applied image processing to uh, to ecology. And that's where he, in the end, also got uh, got uh, his professorship. So uh, meaning he, he changed fields because the tool is extremely variable as long as you are applying it in a good way. So I'm just amazed that that's three in one group that are still in the imaging community and still very influential and big names, all of them in their own rights. And and I quite like this picture <laughs> as well. So so I've got to ask, what was Kota like as a roommate? Well, he was not my... Oh, actually, we did share an apartment together later on. Uh, now, uh, the thing is, Kota just came from Japan uh, when uh, when we started. So he, he had just arrived. I just came into the group. So we basically met basically on day one. And I mean, it was a really fun time. Always, I mean, we, we overlapped at the PhD. We had a long time together as well then in Heidelberg, DMBL. So meaning this really helps. Same with Jens. I mean, this was basically Jens, me, and Kota. We all went to the LMF. And, and this really influenced us for a long time. And that also showed maybe what kind of profile was at this point needed for, for these things. And this is what we had. I'd, I'd like to say two things in this context. First of all, Florian, as our supervisor, I mean, he had set up a lot of imaging rigs and they were connected with a lot of cables. And we spent, I would say, half of our PhD under those tables. And uh, he was saying, this is the kind of skill that will really help you in your careers. That basically this hands-on thing that really fixing like, uh, like uh, the, uh, the, the systems. And he was very much, he was very right. And the other thing is, I mean, Many people in the fields that may also see the, the, the this, uh, this uh, discussion, they know Quota in, in different forms and they realize he's an outstanding image analyst and a very inspired one and a very interesting person. Um, I think what very few people know or can remember is that he actually, Quota is the best experimentalist I ever met, but he stopped doing experiments. And again, a person like, like Florian changed the field. Uh, but I mean, he did outstanding dictyostelium experiments. Uh, even before that, in Japan, he made a single amoeba crawl through tunnels. So I mean, he uh, he has this extremely systematic, well-designed experimental approach that uh, that I actually don't have. So that was funny. That Kota is actually an outstanding experimentalist. <clears throat> I didn't know that, and and I take it this is I might as well stay with your PhD just briefly. This is your original workstation. Doing your PhD? Um, actually, even before I used this for EM reconstruction mainly. It's a it's a RISC workstation that was running under Unix, and at this point, uh, the, you know, the the tools were still very limited. I used Data Explorer and actually also I think even on that one interactive data language, which I then used for everything afterwards. I did most of my uh, rendering in uh, and analysis also for the PhD in interactive data language. So how do do you know, I have only just realized. So you, you sense, yeah, when you look at EM, image restoration, reconstruction, rendering, most importantly, you know, you, you get some stunning images. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, you, you'll see some of the rendered images. Uh, mm -hmm. If you are a, a new to electron microscopy and you're looking at, looking at the image and we're thinking, that's a bit clunky. But oh my goodness, I didn't realize that this was 1996. That you uh, read images, which is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I must say, there's maybe, maybe one disclaimer here: the uh, the uh, the 
volume renderings, I think uh, I read it recently. So this is actually done with PG. Uh, they, but the, basically the original data sets and also 3D renderings with shadings, I did then. I just read it them once because the shading and the, the color scheme is now a, a bit better. But the work is based on, on uh, I, didn't, I didn't do any more reconstructions. I just used the reconstructions I had and re-rendered them once. Okay. Yeah, wait, wait a minute. I, I'm catching up now. You've re-rendered data from 1996. What was the data stored on that enabled you to still be able to access it? in 96, you were talking floppy disks. CDs. CDs oh, are still good. Just, only just on CDs. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I, I basically backed up on CD. And uh, the, the reason why I revisited the data is that I think maybe biologically this was my this was the thing that inspired me most. This was functional neuromorphology, and it is about how to connect or, or how individual system of insects, the neural cells that are underlying the facets are actually connecting. And the, the, this was an evolutionary uh, riddle that I really wanted to crack together with my colleagues. And um, mm -hmm. it's such an interesting story that was only half told. So I never could really show all the morphological data that we had, all the synaptology. So many years later, I realized whenever I was talking to people that are having an evolutionary interest, that this is an interesting evolutionary story. So every now and then, every few years, since 25, 30 years, I'm retelling that story. And that's also why I re-rendered the data at some point, because they looked dated, even though what they were, this was very much aligned with research interests in Genelia at the time. So meaning this was interesting data that I wanted to share in a bit more fashionable way. So every every five, six years, I give a talk about this just because it's an interesting biological question. I'm amazed the CD still worked as well. Uh, that That's quite something. So what countries have you, how many different countries? It's just Germany and Spain that you've worked in. You, from your PhD, you then went to the LMF. Is that right? To Lyme microscopy facility? Now, after the PhD, I went to the to, to the advanced lab microscopy facility in Heidelberg, the Embel year. And then after that, because Embel, you can only work so many years. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, you'd have, in principle, a time limit. And I was aware of that. And I mean, this I, I was having a specialist position in the ALMF. I had no intention to, to remain, because, simply for that reason that it's ideally helps you to qualify. And I think this, I really enjoyed my time there. I mean, I was in the end there for six years um, instead of the maximum that would have been uh, possible would have been nine. But I know that my, um, my motivation was basically to, to go on my own terms, not uh, at, at the last moment. I mean, I really would have enjoyed, enjoyed another three years. There was, this is not, I mean, the, the projects that I was involved in really I really uh, liked them, uh, like working on malaria movement, working on uh, initially also on, on motors of vaccinia virus. Uh, there was always something, then the method development. I mean, I was working a lot on spectral imaging at that time. Uh, the exposure to all the new technologies, I mean, this was ideal. But also at some point, of course, it qualifies you for maybe uh, further steps. And so when an opportunity came along to start a unit in, in, in Barcelona, uh, I yeah, I, I went for that under this feeling, okay, I should not, I mean, you have to go on at some point, go where you want to go. And I think I did. And your CRG team grew and grew and grew once you went there. And, and, and you, again, for those 
I would encourage people to go and have a look at some pictures off the YouTube at the very least. Uh, you started with just the two of you. And then that, that obviously grew to quite a sizable team. Yeah, it grew and shrank a little bit uh, because I think what's also very important is sustainability. And um, I did not manage to fully establish image processing as a, as a, as a backup. Others, I think, succeeded more. But in, this was really also, um, I didn't want, uh, I mean, I had a re really good colleagues all the time. I mean, these are very, very dear to my heart and they know it. And I mean, one sees it over the, the years. I mean, it's, um, but it was also very important to look out for, of course, for career planning. And I just realized that uh, like in the middle, we had one position more, which was time limited. And there was, uh, it was not, I didn't want to risk to, to, to promise, okay, this will be self-sustaining and then it isn't because that's of course you're messing with other people's career. Um, but I think I had a, a we had a well-staffed facility that was very much grown to the, to the size of the needs that we had. I mean, maybe whatever, 13, 14, 15 systems, uh, 250 users. So this kind of thing, I think this was very well matched and still is so. And the team themselves, I know some of the team, they're, they're... They, they get out there at the conferences. So you obviously were helping develop, then develop their own careers within the core facility as well, which is, which is super cool. I asked you earlier about what your dream job was when you were young and it was an astronaut. Mm. Uh, today I'm going to guess if you could ch choose any job in the world today, what would you choose? Okay, since astronaut is off, uh, is off the table, actually I'm... I mean, this this may sound weird. Actually, no, I'm 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 really okay. That is the right uh, answer. If you if you could just maybe take this uh, imaging center and transplant it to the beach, I'm good. But that's it. <laughs> and that well, wouldn't really work for for technical reasons. So therefore, I'm really good. No, that's a good answer. So so here's a slightly different question. If you could try sample any job, any different type of job. And I'm not going to let you choose an astronaut for today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Any other type of job? What type of job have you ever thought, gosh, you know, I'd love to know what it's like to be in that position, just to feel it and see for whatever reason. What sort of job would you like to just sample? Not to do as a career, but just to sample. I, hmm. I don't think I'm qualified for that. So basically I, I wouldn't, I couldn't do it, but um, I mean, maybe one dream I would have is at some point, some kind of time out uh, to really think deep about the problem. Maybe the way that uh, theoretical physicists are sometimes doing, are doing or have done. I think that's, that's maybe, uh, and I, I have to, of course, the disclaimer is I am not a theoretical physicist. I don't have the, the, the tool set to do this, but um, I'm just reading a book by Heisenberg, for example, and I mean, I, I just think this this focus on on a, on, on a singular problem, uh, I would like that, but it would, have, would need to be in an environment where you can really focus on this. I had moments like that. I mean, I uh, have a, a Finnish side of my of my family, so I have connections to Finland. I spend these days fairly little and maybe more limited time uh, on the yeah. This is the view from the estate of my family, like with their little houses. Uh, um, uh, and this is the view. And of course, this can allow you to really think deep about the problem. 
And I did it maybe twice in my life. I did it once for this neural connection problem. I remember I was really sitting there and was had, I had the time, especially in Finnish summer, where the days are so infinitely long that you have the feeling you have all the time in the world. I was really making progress then. I understood the problem and the solution. And similarly with uh, illumination regimes for single and multi-beam scanning systems. I mean, these are fairly basic equations, but I could, I could calculate the whole thing through in such a surrounding. So basically this kind of reclusion and working on a theoretical problem, I think that's that's really, a, that would be what I would like to sample. Okay. And so, so you wouldn't want to be a, a rock star or, you know, a, a classic uh, artist or anything else? Not really. This is... Do, do you this still... is only to attract girls, actually. <laughs> so, so I'll put a picture up, which is throwing team a bit of him playing a guitar uh, on a on a marine biology course, yeah, yeah, which was very important for me. No, I mean, first of all, I play very bad, and I can only memorize uh, tablature like uh, small pieces, maybe four minutes tops, and um, and that used to be a long time ago. Um, but it was a very nice surrounding, and it was actually really inviting to to, to maybe also take a guitar along and and enjoy the scenery. This was in Croatia. I did these marine biology courses with the group where I was initially working uh, for many years. And this was always a very special moment or experience because it's exactly this connection to the field and maybe something also to appreciate when you're snorkeling, for example, the density of, of organisms, which if you are looking at how the questions are posed in a lab, is always reduced to a single mechanism, to a single specific question. but seeing these things in, in context uh, was always very, very important. So whenever I think about a biological issue or even about uh, probes, tools, I mean, we're basically using fluorescent proteins coming out of cnidarians. Very few people that use them as a tool, very few people that develop them as a tool actually take the ecology into account. And I mean, the, the guy that found the living fossil, Fricke, Hans Fricke, I mean, he's, he, he's, he went around with a with a self-built submarine and we found like this uh, living uh, fossil this solar cunt that's uh, like a transition to the to the uh, to the land uh, animals uh, in, uh, in like in, in the depths in front of india uh, but he also for example in the 90s or in the 80s was already like uh, as a side comment commenting on deep deep sea reefs and that they have um deep uh, deep sea corals deep water corals that have uh, blue fluorescence to probably support the endosymbionts First of all, ecologists always knew that it's not the algae that are um, that are colorful, but that it's actually the the animals, and all of these things that that let's say uh, lab uh, biologists very often even quote wrongly when they talk about corals or whatever. It's all known, and if these groups could talk more, they would understand better also how to optimize some of these of where to find the next class of of, of compounds. Communication is key, but it's always missing between the fields. So 94 was quite something if you had the the embo course and the marine course as well so that was quite a year for you uh, when when did you first meet your wife at embo actually at uh, many years later um, and she's from croatia but uh, i uh, so and i know the area where she's from very well from the marine biology courses but we we met in germany okay and I, i'm going to ask how, how many two children yes two children yeah and either of them following in your footsteps scientifically? I don't think so. I mean, it's way too early. And uh, that's maybe the other thing. 
we already touched on it twice, how you can completely transform your career. Um, and I wouldn't expect them to know for, I mean, one is 14, the other one is 12. I mean, even the older one, I would say, has at least 10 years time before they have to get really serious about, um, I mean, they should not idle away their time. That's not the point, but um, there are choices. But they still want to be footballers. Honestly, these days, I, I wouldn't know. It keeps changing. We are hoping one of them will be a basketball player because that will bring in money. But you know, these things never work out. <laughs> Talking of sports, uh, a couple of things. Uh, firstly, uh, I, I, so I, I quite often when we meet at different conferences such as Elmi, we, we will go for a run in the morning. And I've got multiple selfies of us running. Yeah. And my panic for today, I could only find one, which is really poor. It's not even the best one. I, you know, I can look, I can put myself with my hat on there, on it. Mm. There you go, I can just wear my hat. So this is us in San Francisco. San Francisco, yeah. In San Francisco. Uh, but I, do you know, we, I should have pictures from uh, Portugal. Mm. Out on the, I think that was the first time we possibly went running. To, oh, no. First time we went running. I remember where that was. Oh, now, can you remember the first time we went running together? I mean, I would have also said Portugal because I have a specific memory about Portugal. Um, yeah, um, but let's see if you, if you think about, must have been Elmi meetings. Um, the one before would have been in Sweden and then the one before in, in Spain. I, I think it was Portugal. I think it was Semmering, Austria. Yeah, but this was, of course, of course, of course, it was, that's the one. Oh, yeah, up yeah, and downhill. Because... I, I I don't know. There was a there was a bigger group of us that went running. And we yeah, went. Running. We went with several people, and uh, oh, that was the ultimate hangover cure. For for some, <laughs> for others, it was basically maybe just pointing out that they should stay in bed. Oh yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> but it was a really good running area. I mean, with with the elevation and uh, uh, the downhill. I can't remember one of the. Uh, I, I remember us running. I can't remember all the other runners with us, but there was two female runners, and one of them, my goodness, she was a monster. I mean, she. We were going round the hill and she said, I'll meet you. And she just turned vertically up it and just ran up it. It's like, oh, she yeah, was. Put, puts awesome. us in our place. Yeah, yeah, really. She was just quite an incredible runner. I, I, I think she was actually properly nationally or internationally competitive as well. Uh, mm. That was, yeah, I, I remember that. And yeah, and of course, uh, Portugal for Elmi was on the beach. Nice was, on the beach, yeah. I mean, for me, I have this memory that uh, since Portugal is already in the UK time zone, I actually got up one hour too early. I mean, if we're, if we're anyway, uh, like we're setting uh, out early, like around six was the plan. So I was sitting in the lobby at five because I didn't realize that it was in the wrong time zone. <laughs> yeah, I also remember ringing you up when you missed your alarm once. <laughs> yeah, that could be. There was probably a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. which would be the drinks the night before again <laughs> back to the same theme but it's not just uh that we also uh your football i mean think about conferences uh and i'll ask a question about this in a moment but you are part of an annual stalwart of the academic team for the elmi academic football team itself uh with with yeah. team position I mean, go on t -Row. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, 
I think this this is actually one of the nicest activities uh, that that now also is established. Especially this photo, I think, shows it even better. Uh, so this is the since 2015. I think every year, the ELMI conference, the European Light Microscopy Initiative conference, uh, has in the on the first day a game between the academics and the companies. And um, uh, well, normally we get slaughtered. Let's be honest about that. Um, but I think it's such a great thing because, I mean, if people can see or recognize some of the faces in the back, these are different companies. Uh, we, of course, from different institutes and we're all in the game together. And that's, I think, symbolically, that's exactly what's what's happening. I mean, we are all, actually, we share this this, this deep interest in the, in the in this technology field. And we have so much that uh, that that connects us, and this is actually shown in this in this moment of good spirit. So for me, these football games they're they're really fun. They're, they're not fun to watch, I think, because we are not really good, I guess. But uh, but they are they are really they're they're a nice they're a nice gesture. Yeah, the, the next year it's ours. But <laughs> I yeah. should actually to Florian, who uh, I think really got this off the ground, and Bullon, who's carried on. Picking torture for Olympus stroke evidence and it's great seeing the likes of Zeiss and Leica and other Nikon actually turning up and playing as colleagues yes which is you know you, you think this great rivalry between these companies and actually you know they're just like academics I guess academically we compete against each other but we also collaborate and it's maybe less on the company side but in this point yeah, they'll all play together. They'll have a drink of water together and an ice cream, and mm. and then and that's that's really what's what makes it nice. I, I I mean this idea that that came up like uh, for this army meeting in in, in Spain that at the time in in, in Sitges, yeah, it came basically. I mean it was Florian very much so Florian. Uh, I mean at that point at Olympus now at at Leica, um, and many. Yeah, and it just 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 caught on. It was such a good idea. I, and just one other exercise. So during lockdown, mm -hmm. what, what exercises did you pick? Because obviously you were in Spain, so very limited on what you could do outside. How you, how did you try and keep fit at home? You know uh, where. The I basically, I, I mean, I tried to uh, to work out in, in the house. And uh, in the apartment, and uh, because lockdown in, in in Spain was harsh. I mean, if I just think at the level of the children, uh, but I I tried to to run in in the apartment. I tried to actually then do chin ups, and this is when I fell out of the door frame and completely smashed my elbow. Actually, I should have added for for the but then viewer discretion would be advised. I should have added the X ray of the of the fracture, which was really massive. Like it, uh, the elbow just came off, and I didn't realize for another two months. But, so, you, yeah. so you were doing a chin up. Yeah, I, I, I guess you had some contraption on the door frame. Yeah, which was unfortunately permanently fixed. So when actually I went up to energetically, and I just unhinged it, and it came down with me under full tension. So actually, um, the, uh, does one still see the scar? Yep. Well, big there scar on there. Basically, it makes me look like Wolverine, and. Uh, uh, I mean, inside it's it's just it's just titanium. Thanks uh, for you're not that much like Wolverine. Hmm? Thanks for shaving. You're not that much like Wolverine. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, it's uh, it was a massive injury uh, by trying to stay fit. So I basically I achieved the opposite. It took me, I think, a lot time, a long time afterwards. And now I'm more or less back in in, in good shape. But 
So you came down, you yeah. hurt yourself. Mm. It took two months before you went and got it x-rayed and realised that your elbow was completely in pieces. Well, I think we realized before that there was a fracture, but they saw that heals on its own because I, I mean, for some reason, I didn't have major pain. I mean, I had a, I mean, it was swollen. I took, um, I tried to treat it uh, so to, to not have any kind of uh, uh, like thrombosis or whatever. I, I did all of that at home. I mean, even going to the hospital was uh, like it, it wasn't worth the bother somehow. And I could fully move it because I had an extra joint. So I thought everything is fine. But, um, uh, and I could even lift things with it. So basically, the the injury didn't feel as critical as it as it was. And then when the the doctors told me, okay, I can maybe start doing some sports again, I fell off a skateboard. And then the thing just really went like uh, uh, like it pulled itself through the through the joint. And uh, then it need, really needed fixing. And then the 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 surgeon was actually quite shocked because and he's normally not easily shocked because he's working with motorcyclists. <laughs> Sorry, it I was should... not my best hour. Just, uh, that that must be really frustrating though because as you say keep keeping fit is very important to you yeah and keeping fit ended up actually meaning not being able to keep fit for, yeah. for a significant amount of time i uh, was the best the best part of it that i actually of course also like telling and i'm sure i told it to you it, actually about running i remember in, in toku um, is uh, that, of course, it, uh, it was very weird that I didn't have pain or, the, or that I was fully functional for two months before actually really having to treat the fracture, which kind of like also gave myself, uh, I gave myself some kind of task guy image. And then after, uh, after the cast came off, after they had fixed the elbow, and I couldn't even touch my chin, I couldn't shave, I couldn't reach. So I went to physio and I told the guy, because I was, at this point I was really scared because I felt no... Uh, no threat by, by by this injury. So I just thought, okay, that's really bad if your body doesn't tell you that something's wrong. So I told the guy that he has to watch out because I don't feel any pain. And then I cried like a like a child because it was extremely painful. I feel all the pain that it need, that one needs to feel. I was just for some reason lucky that that the the fracture itself wasn't painful. <laughs> but it was the, the 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 rehab was really really hard. So I shouldn't laugh. Just I thought you, yeah, I don't I laugh about it. It's not going to hurt. You can't hurt it. And then in tears moments, physios, don't you hate them sometimes? Oh. Okay, it's a, some some quick fire questions for you. Mm. Oh, Finland or Germany? Finland. Uh, no, 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 Germany. Oh, gosh. You, there's, there's you there's get kicked out of Germany in that quick fire answer. Spain or Finland? Both. If I have to choose, no, Finland has a has a drawback. I would say just because the winters are very harsh, I never experienced them. Just picking the good part is not enough to to. I think Spain. It would be Spain. Spain is a good all year country, and Germany. Hey, uh, as a budding astronaut, the moon or Mars? Moon. Oh, okay. I mean, as in science, do things by steps. Star Trek or Star Wars? This should be a longer answer. I, first of all, I would have to say both because I was a huge fan. Um, now, in retrospect, I would say Star Trek. It's the right answer. There's more science. I actually did my I did my school English paper that was part of my final examination on Star Trek, and I got full grades. So we can thank your top grades to Star Trek. 
<laughs> uh, what's your favourite film of all time? This I cannot answer because like, uh, it's uh, it's hard for me to rank easy, uh, to, to rank quickly. Uh, it's not quite the right answer, but I would say anything from James Cameron I find normally deeply fascinating because of the level of craftsmanship that goes into it and the way that he can reinvent stories. So meaning whenever something new comes out, I really appreciate the craftsmanship. Okay. That's maybe the closest that it can come. So what's your favorite Christmas film? Because he hasn't done a Christmas film. It was Christmas film. Maybe in Germany, when, when, uh, when I was a kid, they showed classics could then could have been i think i saw ben hur actually around that time this was used to be a christmas film in germany maybe <clears> it's an association i think they're better christmas movies i actually saw you ask the, this question to jean yves and uh die hard is not my answer <laughs> I, I like die hard as well though i do but actually that's okay that's a christmas movie let's agree yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you an early bird or night owl I used to be a night owl, um, absolutely, like during the marine biology courses, during my studies, uh, basically, while working with Kota, I mean night owl, but I'm transforming to an earlier bird because it's uh, it's giving you more out of, uh, yeah, it's giving you more of the day. PC or Mac? PC. <clears throat> McDonald's or Burger King? McDonald's because I was growing up next to one of the first I think maybe the first McDonald's in in uh, in Germany and uh, so it's a childhood memory okay coffee or tea coffee and what are you drinking you, you got a coffee before this so what sort of coffee did you get uh, these days I drink like an espresso with milk so uh, um, I used I used to I drink it in any form that's the thing you learn when you work I mean I used to work in the hospital and doing night shifts. So I normally drink, just drink filter coffee straight and without sugar, because then, you know, all you need is, you find, have to find the filters in the coffee. You don't need anything else, no milk, no sugar. Um, I, when I moved to Spain, I actually started drinking uh, cortados, so cut, cut yeah. milk shots. And um, uh, ever since then, I tend when I find it with milk in it. Okay. Beer or wine? Wine. Oh, see, that wouldn't have been the answer 10, 15 years ago. So red or white wine? Red. God, what has Spain done to you? No, it's a good answer. Uh, yeah, well, it's not the Spanish wine. I actually was really suffering from it. So the, the, I started to appreciate wine while I was still in Germany, partially with Kota, partially with uh, people we met at, uh, uh, like at Embo. Um, and I really got into Italian wine. And then you go to Spain, where, of course, uh, countries are quite protective of their own uh, produce. So the only thing that you could find every now and then was Lambrusco. So meaning it, that didn't work at all. It got better. And now in Germany, of course, you, since they don't have this, that kind of stake in the, in the red wines, you find any kind of wine. And I, I appreciate the, the complexity of the wines. Okay. Chocolate or cheese? Chocolate. Milk or dark? Dark, actually. That's my brain speaking. Actually, my, I think my, 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 my the inner child says milk chocolate. Yeah, I, I, my, my work bag, I'm just reaching down to my work bag, is uh, always has. Ooh. Always. Yeah.
yeah. different chocolates in it. I'll stop there before I embarrass myself too much. It's <laughs> uh, getting ready to go off to uh, Bina and Laby. So I've just so I've loaded my chocolate and just hope it doesn't melt when I fly over or when I when I land actually. Less than oh, yeah. when you get back to it. Uh where what is your favorite food? If you could choose anything. So if you were to be taken out, what is your what is your favorite food to choose? I huh. This again I have trouble with ranking. If I think about the things I cannot easily get, I would say maybe some Japanese food in Japan, because there are some things you would just not be able to experience otherwise. And I think I had some very, very nice different dishes there. Yeah, maybe that. And is there any food that you dislike? Yeah, I have a very, a very strong. Uh, uh, no, the thing is, I'm not allergic against anything, so I can mm -hmm. eat everything. And uh, in family context, to be polite, to be a good guest, I eat everything, uh, and really everything. But uh, I don't like cucumbers nor tomatoes. So the classical summer vegetables that people find refreshing, uh, somehow it's probably even physiological. There is there is some connection between those, and it's saying something I think about the way that. You, um, yeah, that your digestion works. If you don't like them, I don't. I can eat them. I don't break out in rashes or anything. I just don't like them. Okay. And who cooks at home? Um, mainly my wife. And she's doing a great job because she's also diversifying. She's cooking, cooking different styles. I do some dishes well, including... Um, yeah, some some pastas. I, mean, I do some basic dishes as well, and now that people like me doing them, and then I can be useful. Okay. Or meat. I can do meat. I can do a good roast, roast or, or or some pasta variations. I'm good with those. Other things I leave to the experts. What's your favorite color? Actually, blue. But I'm looking at you in a slightly blue top, and you've got a blue filing cabinet behind you. Yeah, that that didn't surprise me too much. By the way, did you actually deliver? Oh, you've got a whiteboard. People always got a, Timo sitting there in his office with a whiteboard with lots of equations on it. Did you put those on it just so it looked really smart for the for the interview? I had Sheldon put them on. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, I really enjoy the whiteboard. Some, uh, well, actually, I should press it in front of that because I think there's an there's an error there, and some of the questions are really very naive questions that I wrote down many years ago that maybe a physicist would be <laughs> not really uh, impressed with, but no, it's, it actually, it's, it, it shows my interest in physical chemistry. That is, I think now my driving, if I, if I think about the things that I'm interested in on the development side, I would say um, I have for a long time been interested in physical chemistry and I'm starting to approach the, the, the language that is needed to understand it more and more. And that is not where I started out with, because it was always uh, like studying biology. It's definitely not a focus. And after immersing myself in optics, I realized I gravitate over the last years towards fluorescence and physical chemistry. Okay. Uh, last quick fire question, I think. Favorite conference? Elmi. Again. Or simply for the, I mean, we, I think we've been, uh, we've been on board for a long, long time. Um, actually, I've been there from the beginning on, and um, 
it's I like the the that it takes the companies on board so much because we are all I mean as 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 persons we are all coming from the same place and we share a deep interest and I think this is the place where it was the best realized that you just really would do this it's not just one side and the other um, yeah Elmi in all its forms. I'm thinking of bringing the companies along. Your current role, uh, in 30 seconds, what is the sort of strap line? What is your current role? Because it's a bit different to other facilities. Yeah, very. Okay, 30 seconds is hard, but no, it's, it's actually true. So I worked in facility for a long time. I mean, I, I was in Spain and Barcelona for whatever, in the end, almost 15 years. So I think I understand how to run a, a, a core facility. And the core facility has the main purpose must be to, to work well inside the own institute. Anything outside is, an, is a bonus. Uh, the imaging center has, uh, the way I'm working now at Ember is not the ALMF. It's not the Advanced Life Microscopy Facility. I mean, the ALMF will have its 25th anniversary this month. So next month, this will be a major celebration. I will be very happy to be part of it. And it's still needed as in the first day. I mean, this is not, this is, core facility is absolutely essential. The imaging center reflects this additional role of EMBL to open, to be open for external visits. And this is a different business model, as you know. I mean, you also have external visitors, but the logistical effort is not something you do on the side. And this is very much dedicated. And also what we are aiming for is to connect earlier on um, to the technologies by also going into the pre-commercial field, which is something as a facility that I never could manage. I mean, in Spain, I just didn't have the possibility to support the access to such a system. Here, we're basically building them up. So it's a very different role. And I saw it as a interesting progression out of something that I think I understand. And I also appreciate why it has to be different. That's that's why I was actually interested to come here. And your team's quite big over there. Uh, actually, mm, well, no, it's joint two team. teams. Yeah, joint team. So, and it's a bit dated, so there's now more people. It has been, it has grown. Um, um, uh, so these are two people. Uh, so actually most of the people that you see there are actually from the prior EM team of, of my colleague Simone. He's uh, the bearded Italian in front um, with a blue uh, pullover, exactly. So he's he's basically my counterpart on the cryo EM side, but the imaging center has two sides, light microscopy and cryo EM. And of course what we want to meet in and where we're basically now meeting is in correlative approaches. So many of the people um, are, for example, also cryom specialists, but there's also my application specialists on the picture. I cannot point to them, of course, right now. Um, there's uh, one of the two optical engineers. Uh, the other one had not started at this point. Uh, there's a data analyst. So I have a team of five for the service sites, the so two application specialists, uh, two optical engineers and a, a data analyst, and it's similar on the EM side. And there's also uh, research uh, on both sides. There are also some research positions from Simo in this case. Uh, mine are not on the picture. They started uh, this year because I now also really want to go into massive development. But so this is a great team. Beyond this, you have quite a lot of interactions with commercial companies as well, which means mm -hmm. your job is it's not just being a scientist, is it, anymore? It, it, the, the role is more than just being a scientist. You have to be a, a manager. You have to be a sort of semi-businessman as well. Uh, would that be fair to say? To be a businessman of what? Sir? 
to, to be to have a business aspect to you looking at the finance you've got the the company engagements the legalities around that plus the science mm-hmm. quite a lot of skills that you're holding there well uh, I, th- I think actually uh, and I, I mean I guess you wrote a book on that one yourself uh, or you could you could write a book on this one if you haven't written it already um, you have to go beyond the technology itself if, uh, in this or there's a lot of opportunities to um, to interact in forms that are very very beneficial but for this, you have to also understand exactly these additional challenges. But it's not only about where's the on button uh, on the microscope or what to have to optimize experimentally. It's about how to embed technologies, how to play them to their strongest point, how to actually interact with companies in a in a also in in the form of a mutual beneficial uh, relationship. So not trying to maybe just like sell. Okay, place it here and just looking maybe for a bargain. But thinking about what does it actually take, and not only not only with companies, it's the same for any kind of let's say networking activity. Where are the points where you both walk out as uh, with, with a benefit, and try to uh, to uh, work for those? But this goes beyond science. This is now becoming, of course, partially management things, partially politics. I mean, that's something I did for many years, also in the context of trying to network for Europe by imaging. Uh, and these things you pick up. You ideally also take courses in. Courses are now more and more available. And I think we do need, uh, but this is the point. I mean, when we finished studies, this was just the beginning. So anything picked up afterwards, either you do it yourself, or ideally you actually cut the corners and you you target you uh, you get target trainings in the things that you need. Our toolset is much bigger than than just the the technology. And yeah, this but... is when you work with companies, when you work with balancing different aspects in major undertakings. That's if you want to work with multiple partners. And respect all the interests this is what you need i think when we started out those courses didn't exist but our goals didn't exist particularly mm. we started that's out. the point i mean 25 years of almf they were some of the first and uh, we this is, this is basically when we started so we are nearly up to the hour and i have two questions i still want to ask can i ask you what has there been any time in your career that you found particularly challenging or difficult for whatever reason everything at the moment sounds serene but there must have been bumps, challenges, uncomfortable times. I'm sure there were. Yes, I, I remember sometimes. But I would say these were uh, isolated incidents. Some in retro, in retrospect, funny. I mean, like this one night of shock that I had when I was writing up my PhD thesis, and when I was writing the methods, I thought I had used the wrong plasmid. I mean, like in the middle of the night, at the time when after you already published two papers on on this thing, you kind of like just try to cross the T's. And uh, you, you find something that you consider a fundamental error. That was quite shocking. But this is like this thing that throws you for a loop, but it was done within, the, within half a day. I came in the next morning, we looked at it, and we realized that the nomenclature had changed. So meaning these things very often dissolve themselves. You can still feel this initial shock. Later on, I think with some um, incidents, uh, yeah, maybe that's also where one can learn uh, soreness. I once had an incident with a system where I really thought, okay, I, I mean, it just broke, in, or the ceiling broke in front of my eyes, more or less, and damaged the system in my eyes severely, and I thought that's the end of me. And I can only deeply appreciate that uh, the persons I was working with on the um, on the institute side were actually very sorrow, had done all the right insurances and everything, so everything was in the end fine. 
But this moment when I realized that I possibly have not considered all the options and uh, I saw my career ending is at this point and it, that took maybe two or three days to walk off. It actually also brought me in a very nice direction because I was so upset uh, with the incident and that first of all, I think I learned for the future to be much more respecting the process. So it's not only about getting uh, or uh, what you can get, but also getting it in a way that, that everybody's protected. But also I just realized I have to move my facility into a new location. I was really fed up and, um, and that gave me the drive to then develop. It took still more time, but to develop, let's say a relocation of the facility, which I at this point really wanted. So meaning something good can come out of it, but of course I felt like yeah, I, I was not, I was not in a good, in a, in a good place then. These, oh, these I, things I remember, very few of those. That, that, that last one's a good point. You know, when you look at the cost, certainly in the UK, we had a postdoc has a cost associated. It's not just mm -hmm. their salary, it's the overhead, which is the estate and the, the infrastructure around them. And what you just said, it was the infrastructure that's being put around. Mm -hmm. Someone was there, they sorted the insurance, they're there to help with it. You know, the people that, for a lot of scientists, they're the hidden people that we don't see because they're not in our departments. But my goodness, we need that infrastructure behind us to enable us to do our work with that layer of protection as well. Yes, and um, one can also see this maybe as a restriction. I mean, of course, uh, I think I, maybe also you, uh, are also, of course, sometimes bad-mouthing some things. And I mean, and not everything that's coming out of a structure is actually helpful. I mean, we also are faced with the flip side. But no, I mean, the point is we are... Maybe in maybe in public research, at least one sometimes forgets the kind of amounts of money that I mean, you actually you you're making calculations for what a running cost is. I make calculations for what a running cost is. These things are massive. This is not what a person sees that comes on the confocal microscope. But behind all of that are incredible amount oh, cost of a postdoc, cost of any position. These are massive amounts of money that need to be uh, properly handled and Sometimes it will not be in your interest, but I mean, the thing is, imagine a world without this management and you will basically have no research. Yeah. I still want them to get better, but yeah. I've, got, I've, got, I've, I've said it before, but at York, touch wood, <laughs> it's never got in the way. Usually the system is there to help. And when where there's not a system in place, they tend to help us put it in place to, to help us move forward. I, I, yeah. I mean, I can only, I can only, also, I can agree basically with this. I, um, most of my experiences have been good. I mean, I remember maybe the most frustrating aspects I've experienced was still at university where maybe really grown structures sometimes are quite noticeable. Um, but I've otherwise always been in, in, in places with very flat uh, hierarchies and I have never encountered, maybe I'm lucky in this, never encountered anybody that just didn't want to go along for, for, for whatever reason. I mean, they, they were all reasonable people and there are reasonable people I'm dealing with. I, yeah, I think the same this side. Uh, and the final question, what's been the most fun? When, when, if you could relive a year of your career, when was the most fun time to relive? The most fun time, probably like, I mean, Oh, I can say I deeply enjoyed my PhD and, and also time at Emble. Um, just, but I mean, this is if I hope everybody does, honestly, I, I, because that's the time when, of course, you 
experienced many new things. I learned many things late in life. Like I only started scuba diving when I was in my 30s. I learned snowboarding basically when I started my PhD together with Kota. We started on the same day with different results. He broke his hand. Um, that's actually why on the picture the next year he's actually trying out uh, hand supports because one learns from one's mistakes. Um, but uh, and then also the time at Endo was really really nice. Everything afterwards, everything before was also great, but in in different ways. I mean, you're only young ones, and uh, I think I enjoyed that. And and I, I said that as one last thing, but you sent me one more picture, and I'm intrigued because I have no idea what's going on here. Oh. This is a picture. Mm -hmm. Please describe the picture for those listening, because I don't know what we have here. Yeah, I, that's also why I included it. Actually, maybe not the most. Uh, so this is actually just a. Um, this was a, a test shot taken with a Polaroid for an interview for a German magazine um, in where they want where they asked somebody from the studentship in, 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 in Munich and I was the representative to explain what a biologist would like to be. So to explain the, the job of a biologist. I mean, this is of course ridiculous. I mean, there's so many different things. And for some reason they wanted to connect this to paleontology. And this was also around the time of Jurassic Park. So uh, all of a sudden dinosaurs so you see some dinosaur skulls in the back and you actually see some mammoths or mastodon uh, like tusks even in the back so this is the collecting uh, or the seller of the paleontology collection where we had an interview about one possible job uh, uh, field for for biologists the way that it came out was like me saying that i want to be a dinosaur researcher which is a bit naive but yeah maybe the other thing if not an, if not an astronaut what do you want to be you want to work with dinosaurs that was a bit of a, I was representing more the, the students per se in this. But this was and, a very strange, oh. And, and I had to show this one because this is Timo sitting in front of a, a microscope, very famous in, a, in Japan. <laughs> I don't know, Japanese, I have no idea what the Japanese writing says. I, I didn't get Google Translate on this, but I see fame, fame everywhere. From, from the paleontology dinosaur days through to being a top scientist. Seems like I'm always putting myself in the picture. No, if you're if Alexis. No, this was a funny, um, when I was visiting Japan, I was also visiting like a headquarters. And since I just worked uh, a lot on this, this is a SP2 AOBS system for spectral unmixing, actually. This was something I was working on then. Um, yeah, they, they took that photo in a very professional setting, but actually the, 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 the lab code was way too small. I mean. A Japanese lab coat, so I had to really angle my arm so that it looks convincing. And they, it was a professional shoot, but yeah, it's, it's, it's funny when I found that that uh, that magazine again. So and, yeah, and GSP two that you taught me on to start with. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, I mean, it's a very similar system to the one we were working on. Yeah, it all comes back. All back round full circle. On that note, we are just over the hour. I have to say, Timo. Thank you for my career. Thank you for guest starring <laughs> on the microscopies as well. Uh, <laughs> please, uh, those who are watching, listening, please subscribe to whichever channel it is. There's lots on the back catalogue for you to go watch and listen to. But this one's been a, a personal indulgence uh, to have Timo as a very special guest. It was very special to me. Timo, thank you. Thanks so much, Pete. This was a real pleasure and honour. I, I mean, I've been following your career and um, I'm deeply impressed. And therefore, it was really an absolute joy right now to, to actually 
yeah, take take stock a little bit for both of us, and uh, yeah, and continue doing this in the future. And uh, see you soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the microscopists.